Good morning. My name is JD, one of the pastors here. So glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, we are walking through uh, our series through the book of Hebrews. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's go ahead and turn uh, to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, we covered the first 13 verses uh, last week, and this week we'll close out our, uh, uh, this chapter and end, we'll go into chapter 5. So uh, the book of Hebrews was originally written uh, to Jewish Christians who were beginning to waver in their faith in Jesus and begin to turn back to their Jewish roots. So that's, the, that's kind of the premise for the writing of Hebrews. And so the overarching and the, and the main focus that the writer has in mind is this, that we would remain faithful in every situation, looking to Jesus who is superior in every way. That we would remain faithful, looking to Jesus who is superior in every way. So we we're almost four chapters, we're almost through four chapters of the book of Hebrews. I just said, and the writer has spent considerable time highlighting this the supremacy of Christ. Jesus is more supreme than the prophets, he has said, more supreme than the angels, and last week, more supreme than Moses or any other patriarchs. So as we wrap up Hebrews 4 this week, we'll see a, a shift in the, and that the writer will focus the next several chapters on Jesus as the great high priest. Jesus as the great high priest and the Son of God. We will see that Jesus is the perfect high priest who brings eternal salvation as mediator and intercessor between God and man. The great high priest, the perfect high priest who intercedes between God and man. Hebrews chapter 4, we'll start in verse 14 together. Hebrews chapter 4, we'll start in verse 14 together. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And, as, and he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications without cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source 
of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is your word. It has great meaning and sufficiency for us this morning. It is necessary for us. Lord, I pray that you would use it to bring clarity to our lives. That you would use it to to grow us up in the most holy faith, to mature us, to even correct and rebuke us, but most assuredly that it would train us in righteousness. So we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, just the opportunity that we have to gather under it and to rest in it this morning. So I pray that we would do that well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. came across a movie the other night that was based on a true story of a Marine who was an MP who desired to be a dog handler. She worked hard to meet all the qualifications to to put herself in situations where her gunny would recognize her hard work and efficiency. Her opportunity came when one of the dogs who was really aggressive bit its previous handler and broke his hand. For the first time handling a dog, she was given Rex, a giant German shepherd that did not trust easily. As she was training the dog, she was always skittish about what the dog might do to her which caused the dog to not only, want, not only be skittish himself, but also not to listen or to trust her. So in one scene, as she was training the dog to find planted IEDs as they cleared uh, makeshift rooms, her and the dog only found one of five, a failure in all areas. She was feeling the pressure. The, instruct, the instructor stepped in, he said something to this effect. Your dog will not perform unless he can confidently trust you and put his faith in you that you will not lead him where he does not need to go. As I thought about that scene this week, I couldn't help but correlate that to to our passage this morning. That as a Christian, We are to put our whole confidence and trust in the Lord. Because we can confidently trust Him. Jeremiah 17 says, The man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is indeed is in the Lord, will be blessed. So we put our whole confidence in the Lord. And when we put our confidence and trust in Jesus, it leads us to a place of full dependence as we humbly submit ourselves to His authority and seek to walk in His obedience. So the main idea of our text this morning is this, the the one that God is seeking to use for transformation is this, confidently draw near to Jesus, knowing He is a sympathetic, humble, and obedient suffering Savior. Confidently draw near to Jesus, Knowing he is a sympathetic, humble, and obedient, suffering Savior. So 
So three ways that we, that we see Jesus is, and meets the qualification that Jesus is the perfect great high priest are these three. First thing we'll see is a sympathetic, sinless priest. Jesus is the sympathetic, sinless priest. The second thing that we'll see is a humble, God-dependent priest. Yes, the Son of God is a humble, God-dependent priest. The third thing we'll see is a perfectly obedient priest. A perfectly obedient priest. So Jesus, as the sympathetic, sinless priest, verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Just in case we didn't know who he was referring to, who the writer of Hebrews is referring to, he tells us, hey, I'm referring to Jesus, the Son of God who came from the heavens as fully God and entered into this world as fully man. So not a high priest who is in and of this world at all, but a high priest who actually sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven, the Son of God Himself, the second person of the Trinity. Let us hold fast our confession. Our confession. Let us persevere. Let us, let us hold fast in our confidence and in our Christian lives that Jesus is who He says He is. That we would persevere. We saw this was a, a main topic of our passage from the first part of four. We hold fast. So we have a great high priest, fully God who came into this world as full of men. Let us persevere in our confession. Why? Verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. I don't know, you, you've probably heard this verse. If, you're, if you've been around Christian and, and you've been around church and the Christian life for any length of time, you've heard this verse quoted, right? It's not one that we don't usually know as a Christian. Usually most of us have it memorized. We do not serve an impersonable God, a God that just sits in the heavens and he just lets us all go and, and, and just kind of let things uh, happen and trials and suffering and just, oh, well, they'll be okay. No, we have Jesus uh, who is able to sympathize with us. Why? Because Jesus felt emotion. As being the Son of God who came and took on flesh, He suffered the way that we suffer. He was hungry. He was tired. He was weary. He felt sadness and sorrow. And on and on. Whatever emotion or whatever temptation you have felt, Jesus is able to sympathize with us because He has met his, our weaknesses in Himself. He has been tempted as we are. You see, Jesus did not shield Himself from our fallen world. He subjected Himself to it. I don't know about you, that's good news to us. That we have the Son of God who subjected Himself to what we feel, to what we know, to the pain and the suffering, the trials and the joys. 
That's why Isaiah 53, Isaiah can say he was despised and rejected by men. He was a, a man of sorrows and he was acquainted with grief. He knew what grief was. Anybody in here know what grief is? Everybody does, right? So does, so does Jesus. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. This is the Son of God in the flesh. Read Matthew that he was tempted with wealth, power, and comfort. Any of you been tempted in that way? How many of you have succumbed to that temptation? All of us. We've all wanted to feel wealth. And we've all wanted to feel some sort of power. And most assuredly, we love comfort. And here is Jesus, where we fail in these aspects, where we, we, we walk through these temptations, we try to gird our loins, right? And we try to, we, we try to, uh, we try to as much as we can, to, to, to not sin. We can't do it. We are an imperfect people. Living with indwelling sin. And yet, here's the high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He's been tempted as we are. But this is the vital next three words. Yet without sin. Yet without sin. Christ did it perfectly. Christ came into this world, suffered, he, he, he allowed himself to, 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 to live in our fallen world. He subjected himself to it, met us in our weaknesses, sympathized with our weaknesses, tempted as we are, yet did it perfectly. And here's the application. We actually get the application from a verse. So what shall we do with this information? We've got Jesus here, who is without sin. And we know that he appeared to take away the sins of the world, for in him there was no sin. So let us then, what? With confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. How many of you experience times of need? Ever experienced times of need? I experience them every day. We have a sympathetic, sinless priest who tells us and wants us to draw near to the throne of grace. What was the throne? The throne was a place of actual judgment. And yet, here's the writer of Hebrews, because of Jesus, because of his selfless sacrifice, his sufficient sacrifice, his, his coming into this world, taking on flesh and dying a death, living a life we can never live and dying a death that we can serve, we can now with confidence, with confidence draw near to God, to the throne of grace, that we would not suffer judgment, that we would not suffer condemnation, because we have a perfect, sinless Savior, who took on our sin, we can approach with confidence the throne of grace. 
that we may receive mercy, and that we may find grace in the time of need. And this is good news that Jesus did this for us. Because how much, how many of us rest in our own confidence? How many of us rest in our own abilities? Or the way Philippians 2 is, how many of us rest in our own selfish ambitions? I know I'm guilty. But yet, because we have a sympathetic, sinless priest who is without sin, we can come in our time of need. We can receive mercy. We can receive grace. That's why Jesus' yoke is easy and His burden is light. That you and I can rest in the fact that Jesus is the sympathetic, sinless priest who is not an impersonal, impersonable God who just resides in heaven. Look at, verse, look at chapter 5, verse 1. We get a description of what an earthly high priest is. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. So that was, that was the role of, of a high priest. He was a mediator and intercessor between God and man to offer gifts, to offer, offer sacrifices for sin. So they would, the people would go to the priest and they would call them, they would sacrifice for them, they would pray for them. So the priest would deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. But look at verse 3 in chapter 5. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. The high priest, or the, the high priest, in that day, was not a sinless individual. He was one, yes, that was appointed, as we'll see. He was one that was set apart. But he was not sinless. You see, you and I, we needed, because of our indwelling sin, we needed a perfect high priest, a sinless priest. To suffer the way that we suffer, to feel emotion the way that we feel emotion, and to be a sacrifice, a once and for all sacrifice. We'll see this more in Hebrews chapter 7. We won't get into that in depth, but he is the once and for all sacrifice. He never had to pay, he never had to sacrifice something in order for the people because he sacrificed whom? Sacrificed himself. And so you and I, and with confidence, draw near to Jesus, knowing that he is a sympathetic, sinless priest. Receive mercy and find grace. That's good news. Second thing that we see here is a humble, God-dependent priest. A humble, God-dependent priest. One of the things that I, 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 as we walked through the book of John earlier this year and last year, I was always amazed at how John so, uh, or how, how John portrayed Jesus as totally depending on the Father. Just over and over again, depending on the Father. 
says he came down from heaven, not to do his own will, but the will of him who sent me. So that was Jesus. That's what he's doing. He's accomplishing the will of the Father. Well, how is Jesus a humble and God-dependent priest? Look at, look at verse 4. No one takes the honor of appointing themselves as the, the high priest, but only when ca- called by God, appointed by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. He also says in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with all cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. And what a beautiful picture of what Christ has done in the flesh. In the days of his flesh, verse 7, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able, to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. He was heard because of his submission to the Father. In our reading from Philippians 2, we see that that Jesus, he did nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility counted others more significant than himself. And so he commands us to look not only to our, our own interests, but also to the interest of others. And that's what Jesus has done in his humble, God-dependent, priestly manner. We see this most beautifully in Luke 22. Where it says, he came out and he went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing to remove this cup from me. Then he goes on to say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And he sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And that's what this passage is referring to that Jesus, but pretty much all of his life, he offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him, to God who was able to save him from death. This is humble submission to the Father. This is humble submission to the Father, even, even in agony, even sweating drops of blood. That Jesus in that moment would pray, God, you can save me from this. If there's another way, if you're willing to remove it. But also I understand, not my will, but yours be done. 
Jesus, if Jesus is willing to, in his time of need, as we just saw, in his time to receive mercy, would pray to the Father, how much more are we to be praying for God to intercede on our behalf? Are you living with a God-dependent life? Are you relying on God for, for your every need? For your every desire? Are you reaching out to Him humbly, crying tears and prayers and supplications to Him who is able to save you from death? Is this you? Because if I were to go around to each one of you and just ask you one simple question, I could find out how dependent you are on the Lord. And that one question would be, how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Do you find yourself daily reaching out, crying out to God for, for your holding you fast even? for meeting you in a time of need, for receiving mercy? Or you trust yourself, or do you trust your own abilities to get through a situation? That's usually me. I'm usually prone to, to, to step in and solve problems of my own volition. But if, if Christ was humble, lived in humility, lived under the dependency of God, how much more are we to, to live this way? That the perfect Son of Man, the perfect Son of God, how much more are we to live in this way? How much more are we to submit to the Father? Who is the great high priest who was appointed to come to observe and to, to live in this world, to suffer with agony, to sweat drops of blood, to tell them to rise, to tell his disciples to rise and pray, and not enter into temptation. That is, that is us. We are prone to sleep. We're prone to slumber like the disciples. We're prone to trust and rest in our own abilities. And yet there's a humbleness, a dependency that we need in God. Anybody ever read the book Insanity of God? You ever read it? And if you've never read it, I really recommend that you read that book. Number one, it's a book on missions and uh, persecution that's happening throughout the world. But really, it will fuel your fire for evangelism. It will fuel your fire for evangelism. The book is broken up into two parts. The first half of the book is about the missionary's work in what he calls Somalia land. Uh, so if you've ever seen uh, Black Hawk Down, anybody seen Black Hawk Down? Probably most in this room, right? Seen Black Hawk Down? It was in that time where that missionary was there. You can imagine what he was, the persecution that he suffered and was under, even as he tried to uh, work in that place. That's the first half of the book. 
second half of the book is he goes on this quest to talk about and to interview people who have been persecuted throughout the world. And so he goes to the underground church in China. And uh, he, he, he goes to all these different places. And as he's interviewing the people in China, one of the questions that he gets asked is, hey, are there other Christians in the world? That was the question that he received. They did, they're, they're so underground that they don't even know if there's other Christians in the world. They just know that, that they're walking in holiness. That they're striving for to, to build these churches. Millions of Christians underground in China. Striving for the glory of the Lord. Praying to the Lord. Resting in the Lord. Had no idea that there were other, other Christians even in the world outside of themselves. And their pocket of, of, of churches that they had. And so he's describing, he's like, not only are there other churches in the world, or other Christians, Christians all over the world. And he goes on to tell them about this, this, this people group that's, in, uh, that's a Muslim people group. And he says, I tell them that, 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 that not only uh, has this Muslim people group not heard much of the gospel, but there's actually only two to three known Christians from that unreached people group. And he said it was getting about midnight, and he tells them this, and he, and he goes to bed. He's just tired. He's been driving a lot and traveling all over the country, underground and being, you know, hidden here and hidden there so he didn't get identified. He's tired, and he goes to bed. He says he wakes up at 6 a.m. in the morning, and he hears loud cries and wailing. He's like, what is going on? So he comes outside and his interpreter is out there. And he sees all these people out there just, they're just moving around and crying and just praying and doing what is it? And what are they doing? Is this, obviously somebody has died and they're grieving. So he comes up to the interpreter and says, Hey, what's going on? What's going on? The interpreter just says, Hush. He's like, Stop. Just listen. He's like, I don't understand. Like, what is happening? What, what happened last night that I, I need to know about? Do I need to help? He's like, Just listen. So as he stopped and as he listened, what he realized is that those Chinese believers were praying with loud voices, crying out to God for that new people group that they just heard about last night. That they would resolve to wake up at 6 a.m. every single morning. And they would cry loud tears, uh, uh, cry with loud cries and loud and, and, and loud voices lifted up to God. And He would save those people. What a powerful, moving illustration of how a humble dependency on God looks like. One of the things he goes on to say in that book is, or he says previous even to this, is he gets asked everywhere he goes, how come... Christians in America don't help. How come they don't how come they don't push in? And he said, why in the world would Satan wake a sleeping giant? Why would Satan bring about persecution here? Because one of the questions was, why doesn't persecution happen in the US? He's like, why would Satan allow persecution to come to a place where there's so much comfort? Where there's so much dependency on ourselves? 
Why bring persecution where we actually have to rely on God? And why bring suffering where we have to rely on God? So church, I just encourage you not to go out and inflict suffering on yourself. That's not my encouragement. My encouragement is you would seek after God, that you would humbly depend on God for your life. Too many times we rest in our own abilities. We trust too much in ourselves. So the first thing that we saw is a sympathetic, sinless priest. That's how we receive a perfect high priest, a humble, God-dependent priest. And Jesus is a perfectly obedient priest. Jesus is a perfectly obedient priest. We see this here in the passage from Luke. Not my will, but yours be done. Passage I read from John, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Look at verse 8. Although Jesus was a son, although he was the second person of the Trinity, although he is God in the flesh, fully God and fully man, he learned obedience through what he an interesting sentence. You ever considered that sentence? See, Jesus learning obedience does not mean that he was ever disobedient. It emphasizes Jesus' full experience as a human who learned through suffering what it was like to obey God, even to the point of death. Even Philippians 2 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of what? Death. Jesus a perfect, obedient, suffering Savior. He learned obedience through what he suffered. What about you? When are you more prone to pray? When are you more prone to read the Word? When are you more prone to, to, to actively engage with God through through any means of disciplines that, are, that, are met, that we are met with through fasting and praying and reading and teaching and hearing the preached word. In times of need, in times of suffering, in times of trials and tribulations, that's when you learn obedience. See, when things are going well, when things are good, when, when my life is... When my life just going uh, swimmingly, our propensity to cry out to God is a lot less, right? But Jesus calls us to not only worry about our suffering, but to do what? To enter the suffering of others. You may not be suffering here this morning. You may not even be going through trials, but I want you to look around the room. Somebody is. Somebody in this room this morning is going through some serious trials. 
And by God's grace through it, they're going to learn obedience through what they're suffering. But you and I, brothers and sisters, are called to enter into their suffering, to enter into their lives. And then verse 9, and being made perfect, he became a source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. You see, Jesus' suffering and obedience made him the perfect high priest who is the source of our salvation. And Jesus, through obedience, through his sinless, perfect life, became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. And that salvation came through the cross. The cross that was a mark of suffering and salvation. So what does that mean for us? Paul writes to the church at Philippi that I may know Him. That I may know the power of His resurrection. That I may share in His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death. That's what it means to follow in Christ's obedience. To follow His example. So not only was was Christ perfectly obedient, but He calls us to obedience. You catch that? He became the source of eternal salvation for whom? For all who would walk in obedience. Is that you this morning? Are you, are you purposely fighting off sin? Are you abstaining from the sin that so easily ensnares me? Are you always doing, as Paul writes, that things that are pleasing to him? Is that your striving? Is that your toiling? That you would walk in obedience? Do you with confidence draw near to the throne of grace? Or because of your sin, you don't feel that confidence? See, Jesus is the perfect high priest. And He calls us to obey Him through His eternal salvation. He is the source. He is the source. He's the only answer for us in this world. You and I, we, we, we are not our own saviors as much as we try to be. As much as you and I seek to, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps when things get hard. As much as you and I are really confident in our own abilities. You are not your own Savior. No, you need a perfect, humble, sympathetic, obedient 
suffering Savior. Who moved into this world to suffer as we suffer. To live the life we could never live. To die the, the death that we so deserved. To pay the punishment for our sin. And become the once and for all sacrifice for those who would believe and walk in obedience to Him. This is the good news from Hebrews 4 and 5. That you would enter into His eternal rest. That you would trust in Jesus. You would put your faith and your trust in Him. As the movie went on, the German shepherd went on to fully trust and devote itself to its handler. And in so doing, confidently and willingly followed his handler into all sorts of difficult places. And in so doing, saved many, many lives. I just wonder where our confidence is in the Savior this morning. If you're here this morning and you have never put your confidence and faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, I would just tell you that today is a day of salvation. That you would confidently draw near to Jesus. That you would take this opportunity to repent of your sin. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Him. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, 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 you're of the faith and you're in the faith and your confidence is just weak. Just find yourself weakened this morning by life. You don't have a, a, a high priest, a great, a perfect priest who hasn't suffered what you have suffered. I would just tell you to rest in him. To confidently draw near to the throne of grace. That you would receive mercy and that you would find grace in the time of need. Don't trust in your own abilities. Don't find confidence in and of yourself. You would rest in Jesus. See, Paul tells us in Corinthians that he made him who knew no, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God. That is true and good news this morning. That a perfect, sinless Savior, perfect, sinless priest, has interceded for us so that you may have life, going back to John, and have it more abundantly. We're getting ready to sing a song. So as the musicians come, before the throne of God above, and it goes like this. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. That is Jesus. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. 
For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. It's good news for us this morning. I pray that you would rest in these words. For a great high priest lives, has lived, now does live, and sits at the right hand of the Father, pleading on your behalf, interceding for you even now. Rest in that. Pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness, for your gentleness, for your coming into this world and being able to sympathize with us and empathize with us and suffer as we suffered, enter into, into, enter into temptation the way that we have, the way that we do. Lord, we thank you for you are able to do it perfectly. Lord, help us to trust in you, to confidently draw near, knowing that you are a perfect, great high priest who has saved us from our iniquity, saved us from our sin. Lord, help us to walk in obedience in this truth. Amen.